Hello again, and thanks for listening today. This is Stepping Into Freedom, the podcast about standing fast in the liberty wherewith we have been made free from Alma 5840 in the Book of Mormon. Today is a different kind of episode. Um, I have been asking others to give their perspectives and adding to what I know, after adding and adding what I know from my own experiences um, to their thoughts, and tried to be as prayerful as possible about the whole process. But it was suggested to me recently that I that I tell my story, and um, so this is a much much. Uh, longer version of what I did in my intro episode. Um, after 40 guests so far, um, which includes a few of the bonus ones in the, one of the episodes from Specials Week, today you will hear uh, my story and parts of Lorraine's story. Uh, before I begin, there are quite a few things uh, in this story that might have a bit of unintended shock value, um, both in a bad, possibly repulsive way, but other things as well in a divinely beautiful way. And I don't uh, share it for the shock value. I'm not doing that. But I'm just hoping that my listeners will get today's... I'm hoping that I'll be able to, you know, that, that the listeners will be able to receive this story uh, by the power of the Holy Ghost in hopes that that what I say today will edify, motivate uh, spiritually uplift each and every one of you. And even though this isn't live, of course, um, I'm actually going to offer a prayer for you and me as if you're listening to this. And um, as I'm recording it, as if you are here with me in person, um, so that you personally, you, the one listening to this right now, uh, I don't want you to think of anyone else out there. Please um, just think of of you and how you're going to receive this because there's a lot of people out there today who are going to be hearing some things, some of these things for the first time. And no matter how well you know Lorraine and I, I think possibly every listener out there is going to hear something that I haven't shared with you yet. And I'd really like you to try and receive it by the power of the Holy Ghost. So I don't want anyone to, I want everyone who's listening to this today to go ahead, please, and Bow your head, fold your arms as if uh, you and I are praying together and you're listening to this with me talking to you face to face. So, here we go. Heavenly Father, um, I'm a bit nervous about this today, but to the person who is listening to this right now, please uh, send the Holy Ghost to both of us that we may be edified uh, in the sharing of this and them in receiving it, that, that uh, many will be uplifted and helped from what uh, thou can speak to them through me today, that as I try to take the advice of I was given to share this story, that um, the person listening to this right now on the other end will feel hope and faith and the love that I feel as well in my heart for my son Jesus Christ. And I say and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This edit also needed to be put in. Uh, my apologies before the beginning of this episode now. It is currently uh, November 3rd, 2019. 
For those of you who are aware of uh, Lorraine's passing on October 25th, uh, this is just something to keep in mind. If you are listening to this because someone has suggested it to you, uh, please keep that in mind as listening to this episode. We are aware that um, Lorraine and I are both aware now that uh, some of the promises the Lord blessed us with that are discussed in this episode um, are quite clearly going to be fulfilled in a different way and a different time than we anticipated, but we still trust in those promises. We have faith in the Lord's plan and and what he has in store for both of us. So uh, that being said, please enjoy. Anyways, there are still some incredible things to be talked about in this episode, and I hope that it still edifies and uplifts those who listen. So here we go. Thank you. So, hello, here we go. Um, well, good stuff to begin with. I grew up in western Colorado. Nice, small town, you know, good place for to be if you want to, um, you know, raise kids, have a, your family in a spot where, you know, there's not a ton of things where your youth can get into trouble and things like that. Um, I mean, every youth is going to find trouble at some point or other, I guess. I mean, heavens know I you know, heaven knows I did. Um, nice small town, lots of TLC. Everybody puts, uh, you know, tender love and care into everything they do. Um, I had a good childhood, generally speaking, compared to most of the world. I had a good kid in a childhood growing up. Um, I tried to be a good kid. I had my, my parents put me in piano lessons uh, at age eight, roughly, I believe it was. Uh, marching, I was in marching band in high school. We, we won state championship tw- two years in a row. I was in the, the pit section, the percussion, part of the percussion. Uh, I got into inline skating, rollerblading, whatever you want to call it, uh, through the years. I still like to do that whenever I get the chance. Uh, I had swim lessons for a few years, so I learned to swim really well. We had a trampoline in the backyard. Um, I remember the the year where we uh, we spent uh, a lot of the summer, I think it was before my 11th or 12th grade year, I forget which one, where that was the, we were in a rental house, and that was the summer that my dad taught me to do a backflip on the trampoline. That was fun, but... Uh, but anyways, this, the house where I spent most of my childhood, we had a, a sandbox and a swing set, and mini orchard with a peach and apple trees. I remember that, that my mom used to do uh, fruit canning every year, and we loved that. Uh, there was a huge elm tree, I remember, <laughs> at the, near the back fence in the backyard. And I remember having fun one day with some old shingles uh, after a re-roofing project. And I used them with some nails on my own to make sort of a makeshift ladder all, what was it, all maybe 30 feet up to the tree's branches where you could climb even higher. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, I did scouts. Um, I'm an Eagle Scout. Uh, Western Colorado was where I learned to drive. Um, went to EFY twice, uh, especially for youth, for listeners who aren't members of our church, um, at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, it's been since for especially for youth. It's like a kind of a fun youth getaway, spiritual and social fun stuff. I think they're like rebranding that FSY for the strength of youth next year. I could be wrong, but anyways, my dad took us skiing once a year. Um, we got good at that, my siblings and I, so. So I I had forgotten something when I recorded this, this episode in the first place that I am now editing into it. Um, uh, today is October 22nd, and I realized that I might as well just add it in here because this um, is also a huge part of... I'm surprised I actually forgot this in the original recording, 
But I just wanted to put this next part in there for a little bit. Um, you can obviously hear the difference because I'm somewhere else now recording this. But um, yeah, this next part's important too, and I'm just putting this in here now to make sure that I have the complete picture um, for listeners. So um, before I get too much further here, is that was a key part in my life, my journey in music. Uh, my parents brought, uh, excuse me, bought a an acoustic piano. Uh, I think that was actually also in 93 or 94, um, to about the time I was baptized. I don't remember exactly what year that was. Pretty pretty close to around that time, I think. Maybe it was 92. Anyways, um, yeah, all, all three of, actually all of my, my siblings and I, uh, except I don't think Camille was born, my sister Camille. I don't think she was born at that time. But um, yeah, because her birthday is in 96. So um we were all enrolled in piano lessons for a while. I was the only one who kept going through 10 years of lessons, and I am partially to blame for that for the others because I kind of hogged the piano too much. So, um, but anyways, yeah, I just I took like it took took to it like uh, just fish takes to water, and I, um, you know, I have my my parents for providing that for me and uh, Karen Studi shout out to you uh, if you listen to this she was my piano teacher for 10 years and she was just phenomenal amazing piano teacher and so thanks to them and to Heavenly Father for um, blessing me with that uh, gift I uh, can play at about uh, well different grade levels in from US to Canada US about grade 12 Canada about what's called ARCT grade 11 um, associateship degree equivalent in music. I can play it at about that level in piano today. And the, the only two regrets I have about my music education, A, was not doing more than a week of violin lessons with my mom because she's a concert violinist. Um, uh, she almost got, if I'm not mistaken, she almost got her degree in violin performance before my older brother was born. And the other regret is not learning jazz improvisation. I can do anything on piano except jazz improv. I mentally kick myself for that one sometimes, but that has played a huge role in my life in helping me to gain an appreciation for music, as you see in the, uh, um, uh, as you'll see in uh, uh, future episodes and as you already have seen in previous episodes. Um, yeah, piano is and music has always been a huge thing for me. Uh, I was in marching band in high school, and uh, so yeah, it's just it's always been a huge thing for me. So piano is, I play it, I write for it, and um, over the years I've learned to write as well, uh, including vocal and violin and flute parts to my scores that I write, and it just become something I love, love, love to do, and it brings a spirit into my life, and I now I love using it to try and bring this the, the spirit into other people's lives too. So, anyways, you know, they, my parents did the best they could, set a good example of what it means to be. It really means to seek to be like Christ. They 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 taught me the importance of family, to be thankful for our rich heritage. Uh, my great 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 grandfather, Zarapulsifer, and his parents set a really high standard for me to live up to. And I'm still working on that. Um, his father and grandfather um, both fought side by side, actually, in the Battle of Bunker Hill and Revolutionary War. And uh, Zara, uh, he 
Uh, he's the guy who baptized Wilfred Woodruff, which for listeners who aren't members of our church, once again, he is the uh, fourth prophet for our church. And Zara was also in the room when the question arose as to who the prophet was supposed to be after Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, uh, after, after Joseph Smith died, and Brigham, when Brigham Young spoke with the voice of Joseph, Zara was in the room. I mean, so like, all this uh, considered, I had a really, I did, I had a good childhood relatively compared to most people, most kids today in the world. And growing up all through that process, um, you know, I had where, my, where I thought my faith was, and then there was where it really was. And, I mean, I, I, you know, I got by relatively well, um, kind of riding on my parents' faith and my teachers in church and good examples. I had um, friends and good teachers in school. And, uh, but throughout the whole time, I had this dark secret. And uh, it started when I was eight years old ironically enough, also when I was eight, I think it was around then, um, there's a, some cousins, and I'm not going to say who this was, but there's some cousins who uh, were dropping by on their way to somewhere else, and, and um, they, they brought one of those little mobile trailers with them, small one for back in the, I think it was back, yeah, I think that was back in the 90s, yeah, so zero, I was born in 86, so, seven, eight, nine, ten. yeah, so around 94 it would have been. Um, they came with their trailer, and I, I, I'd never seen something like that, so I went into the little thing, and, hey, what's this thing like inside? And there's a few uh, magazines in there, and one of them uh, had a few pictures that, um, you know, from what my parents had taught me, oh, that's bad, you know? It was swim, just, just women in swimsuits, not anything like you get today, but still, it was enough skin showing that my little eight-year-old mind, I'm like, oh, that's bad. And I remember my cousin hearing me say something to that effect, and he was like, they were from California, so I get this, but he's like, that's nothing, man. It's just a swimsuit. Relax. And so, and uh, my little eight-year-old brain, that got my wheels turning. And and uh, the next thing I know, I know I was curious and wanted to justify, wanted to know what the uh, naked female body looked like. And... Uh, yeah, it it uh, it got bad. I remember in high school, um, I actually had a girlfriend my tenth tenth grade year. My parents found out about a while afterwards. Um, that wasn't definitely not a good thing. I was into she she yeah, it was just not a good thing. Now, high school is also where bullying got to its worst for me. Um, a lot of bullying at school because of symptoms of ADHD, which I have more to say about that later, but. You know, and, and I, throughout it all, I tried to stay true the best I knew how, um, but, but hiding that secret for years, you know, that problem in the dark corners of my mind, my behavior, when I thought no one was watching, you know, and, and part of the reason I was scared to talk about it, I think, growing up, was because, you know, as a wonderful, as Western Colorado, as wonderful a place as it is, there were always some things that people just never talked about or rarely talked about. And those subjects were treated like, you know, oh, they were just so hush-hush, you know. And they felt like something that was just super taboo to bring up whenever I wanted to talk about it, and sex was one of them. Um, you could almost feel this, like, I don't know, like a palpable air of just awkwardness. Even in situations where, you know, it was, like it was supposed to feel appropriate and safe to talk about, and uh, 
even in those situations, it just uh, it just weird, felt weird to me. Um, you know, and that made it so that talking to not not even just my parents, anyone, church leaders, adults who I in my warped teenage brain felt were better friends than my family. Um, you know, and therefore what should have been um, a series of talks about sex and how I thought and felt about it, and, you know, sorting out my teenage feelings and all that stuff, right? You know, how, versus how I should have felt. Instead, it was one just really awkward for me, timid, emotionally painful talk uh, with my parents and the once-in-a-while lesson on how, in church, you know, on how bad it was to do sexual things before marriage. And maybe this did happen, I don't know, but I honestly don't remember one time where the good parts of sex and the beautiful, detailed, you know, no-holds-barred, appropriate conversations with, like, you know, candid terminology, I don't remember any time where that ever happened. Um, maybe, like, just a few brief words, oh, it's a beautiful and good thing when you're married. But that's it. You know, there's, no, there's nothing else talked about. There was no, what do you feel about it? What are you thinking? Let's get detailed here, right? Let's get down and dirty and talk about this. What's going on in your head? That never happened. Because it was just, I don't know, it was too scary because of the environment I, I was in. I don't know. But, um, and to make matters worse, I also grew up in an environment where, how do I put that? Um, it felt to me like men were considered to be the weaker gender. And again, this wasn't just one person. It wasn't just my family. It was out of everyone. Like, no one would ever have actually said that men were weaker out loud, I'm pretty sure. Or at least if they had, it would have been, you know, joking if they ever did say anything like that. But that type of mentality was, I don't know, again, it was the best word. It was almost palpable in the air or something like that. And, you know, in the mood of every conversation that even kind of veered towards differences between men and women... You know, there's like, you know what I'm talking about? Like you hear people say to married men or even just dating, things about his women being his better half, right? Or men or women supporting the belief that it's, oh, it's just a sign of humility on the guy's part. It keeps him aware of, quote unquote, his place in society. You know, like, let him do the dumb guy thing, ha ha ha. Like the dumb guy, that's sexist, is what I always thought, but I was afraid to say anything. Um, so, I mean, today I've, I've come a long way since then. I mean, you know, I'm not angry about it or anything like that anymore, but... That's, you know, in my teenage brain, that's how kind of things were. Um, so, and that didn't help any with my self-esteem deep in there, and didn't help addictive tendencies either with uh, sexual and pornography addiction. But, um, oh, speaking along those matters, just a side note, um, along those lines, episode 31 with Don Hawkins and Oakland Davidson, you got to go check that out, because I talk a bunch about that in there with them, and they have some amazing insights. But also what I wanted to get at is, Recently, actually yesterday, Kurt Frankham's uh, Leading Saints podcast, he was actually on one of the episodes of this podcast too. He just released one of his episodes yesterday uh, with a young single adult Stake Relief Society president, or, or she was, named uh, Whitney Woodruff, who talked a lot of, in it alongside those who served as her counselors, I think it was. They, they talked about how pornography is not just a guy problem, and, how, and, and as well as how women can avoid the dangers of it as well because there are totally women addicted to it as well. And relating to it back to that, you know, I mentioned a little bit ago about not having the right kind and quality of conversation about this issue makes the problem worse. In that episode of Leading Saints, they make it clear that you can't just say, well, porn is wrong. You know, you need to be able to talk about it in candid terms, using specific, honest wording, define what porn is in all its forms, 
and masturbation, all that. Like for pornography, you have images, videos, conversation, pornographic audio, descriptions in a novel. There's, I mean, it's a lot worse uh, and more uh, widespread, of course, today than it was back then. Uh, or I should say years ago. Um, and, you know, it takes more forms than you might think. And if you watch... Uh, fight, I love it. it, it fight the new drug. If you go check out their, their stuff, um, they have this Brain Heart World documentary series. There's a ton of commentary about pornography and sexual addiction, how it plagues men and women from all walks of life. There's even this girl who they feature who's trying to get a degree in social work of all things and had addiction to it. So, you know, porn doesn't pick favorites and neither does the devil. Um, he hates everyone equally, as my companion on my mission used to say. <laughs> um, you know, and problems like this, they thrive in the dark. Uh, it has to be exposed and discussed properly if it is ever to be resolved. And I love that, and that also in that episode of uh, Leading the Saints, um, they, they use the, the church's definition that any depiction in, in pictures or writing, and I'm going to add, or audio, that is intended to inappropriately, or, uh, inappropriately arouse sexual feelings, that's pornography. Um, okay, so before I go any further with my part, um, I need to back up here and give a few details about Lorraine from before we even met because her story and mine are intertwined in ways that happened before I was even, um, actually, before we ever met, I'll put it that way. So Lorraine was born with, uh, and everything I have, I'm discussing here I have permission from her to, to say, but she was born with spina bifida, uh, club feet, broken hip, and the doctors, uh, among, other, among other things, and the doctors didn't expect her to live more than 24 hours because of how bad things were. I mean, she had a flight for, uh, for life from uh, New Brunswick to uh, Montreal. And anyways, she went through years of abuse, which I am not going to discuss for a few reasons. Um, but uh, I, just suffice it to say, it, was, it went on for a long time, and it was very deep, very traumatic, and more forms than most people aware are aware exist. But after she escaped the abuse, after years of enduring it, um, it was January 1994, roughly, if I do the math properly. Um, she had lost everything. Uh, she, Lorraine had uh, just um, been told she's not welcome back at the college she was going to because of health issues. And uh, she had just been assaulted um, uh, recently before that by someone who had, a guy who had broken all of her ribs and uh, so and she had, and her family had all but abandoned her, you no know, friends, couldn't work because of her health. Basically, you know, the doctor told her she couldn't sing or play piano or do anything she wanted anymore. It's like she lost everything. And so she offered what she always says to people um, is uh, the most earnest prayer of her life, uh, asking him, the Father, hey, you know, I, tell me what to do, please. <laughs> I'll do it. Just tell me, please, what do I do now? Um, she made him a deal. She said, you know, you make it clear, I'll do it. No questions asked. Two days later, missionaries show up at her door, and uh, she'd never heard of the church before. You know, she didn't know uh, anything about it. And the way she says it, she was, I was very naive. I didn't know anything about the, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And these missionaries show up at her door, and uh, Heavenly Father... He kept his promise. It was just the spirit was like, wham! Just it was like, you know, crying all over the place. Oh man! Like, and she told them at the door. Um, she said to them, "I don't know who you are. 
I don't know what church you're from or who, anything like that, but I know I need to join it. This is my answer. And uh, I'm going to be par- paraphrasing there, but uh, what do I need to do to join your church, basically? And after she picks her jaws up off the floor, <laughs> um, he came in, taught her everything. One of the things the missionaries told her was that the miracle behind this was that that morning they had seen, all three of them, all three elders who came to her door, they had seen while they were praying, the color of her house, the house, uh, it was one of those old townhouses, the house number, the street name, everything. They knew exactly where to go, and they went straight there. And um, that's how they found her. Um, and uh, later that, uh, late that spring, she was baptized quietly. Even after joining the church, there was so much. That wasn't the end of her, her struggles. Lorraine, hell, there's just... It was never a dull, dull moment. Um, but even after joining the church, uh, she had had you know more than her fair share of struggles with family hating what she had done. And over several years afterward, um, over those many years, some vicious, untrue rumors were spread about her, out of context stuff all over the place. And at one point, some of the personal struggles she had, you know, a faith crisis on top of things people were saying about her. Um, almost made her want to leave the church and never come back. And there was at least, um, there was, there was a, a one companionship of missionaries who helped give her an extra push. And she came out of that, you know, some of those faith crises with an even stronger and more clear eternal perspective, understanding of the gospel. So she had help there, and that was great. Um, just to kind of give you that, that context, because that's important, um, her joining the church in 1994. Um, so... I can go back now and talk about what happened um, through what, what, what I thought was a complete repentance process for my addiction as a teenager. And, um, you know, I had stayed clean for a long time, before, long enough time before I left on my mission and uh, served. Um, for the full-time mission. I went home six weeks early for my mission, so I, I say two years, but it was like a year and like 11 months or whatever, but <laughs> just because I had an injury that I was honorably released uh, six weeks early. But yeah, so that was um, interesting because the weird thing is, I, the funny thing is about my mission, I actually asked to serve in Canada because first of all, I thought if I'm going to die from the weather, I would prefer to freeze instead of boil. So, you know, the, I mean, in my, my uh, younger mind at that point, I just, the, you know, people have stereotypes about Canada before they come up here if they've never been, right? So, kind of dumb, I guess. But <laughs> um, and then, as well, in high school, I, in my mission papers, I had actually, one of the other reasons was because I had tried Spanish, the most, probably the easiest foreign language there is to learn in high school, and two years of it, I got mostly, like, good grades-ish, you know, low, like, A's, mostly B's, a few C's. And Spanish, I just was not good at him. So I put that on my papers as well. I'm like, I'm not good at languages. I was willing to do whatever the Lord wanted me to do, even if I had to learn one. But I put that on my mission papers, and I'm wondering if that was... <laughs> I'm guessing that was probably why First Presidency is like, okay, he actually really isn't that great at languages. This is just not his gift. So let's send him to Canada. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so that was kind of fun. My dad's like, I was reading the letter 
the well, mission caller to my dad's like, that's where you wanted to go. Where are you really going? I'm like, no, I'm serious. It's Canada, Toronto, West Mission. He's like, what? So, anyways, I, the dumb thing about it was I still felt like it was kind of a culture shock coming up here. I'm like, what am I doing? This is English. I'm not even, I didn't even cross any seas. What's my problem? And uh, I went through, honestly, a bit of a depression because, you know, mom and dad weren't there anymore to answer any of my questions. And you find out on your mission what you don't know. And you find out where your faith really lies. And I found out very quickly that uh, I was riding on other people's coattails with my faith more than I thought I was, you know. And then, I remember in London, when I was serving there, oh boy, I uh, went through quite a depression. It was dark, middle of winter, um, big, to my mind, a big scary basilica right in downtown London where my apartment, where our apartment was. And uh, it was bad. Like, I remember one morning waking up and just feeling like paralyzing darkness. Just, I couldn't move. I was so just, <gasps> and uh, called my mission president's wife, Sister Ashton. Man, she was amazing. Both president and Sister Ashton, they were just the best mission president wife ever. Anyways, I had some help from them and, and, uh, I even tried some medication while I was serving out there. It didn't do much, but anyways, I uh, got to serving here in Hamilton, and that's where I met Lorraine. Um, so get to that story later, but because there's a key part in that, in that part. I'll tell that story in a second. But um, throughout the rest of my mission, uh, I came to a point where in Perry Sound, it was kind of a turning point for me there. There were a few turning points, but Perry Sound was key because um, I was having a particularly bad day there one time. I just I felt like I was kind of coming out of the, you know, every few areas having depression of some kind, every few transfers. I felt that I was kind of coming out of it. And, you know, maybe I'm okay, finally, for good now. And one day I just was kind of teetering on. I don't feel like myself a little bit, you know. I feel kind of depressed again. My companion, Elder Stephen Ward, thanks to, for him for this. If you're listening, Stephen, you need to know you made a difference in my life that day when you asked me. He asked me, um, uh, hey, you know, Elder Pulsifer, I'm no professional or, or whatever he said. You know, I, I don't know if, how much water this is going to hold for you, but this uh, suggestion I have. But, you know, have you ever thought maybe any of this is could be self-induced. Have you thought of that? I'm like, nah, I don't know, whatever. I just kind of brushed it off for the night. But the next morning I was reading, interestingly enough, in Alma 30 with the story of Korohor the Antichrist. Lovely, right? Not. And I was like, oh, this is just what I need. And, uh, but verse 53, I'll never, ever forget that because Alma 30, 53 is where Korohor says, after everything he, all the trouble he causes, um, you know, basically I knew better. I always knew there was a God and I was deceived by an angel in the last phrase. I have brought this curse upon me. And I'm like, uh, thank you, Elder. He's like, for what? And I'm like, for what you said last night, I realized I'm getting in my own way here. And the Elder Durchy, who I had served with in London before that, you know, I realized he was right. He's like, he told me, you have a rating testimony. I can see it. You just don't know it. And, uh, you know, I just felt like I'm getting in my own way. Heavenly Father has given me countless witnesses of the divinity and love of his son. And I know it. I do know it. Um, in my heart, I, I, knew, I know that I knew it. Um, and, you know, from that point on, it was a matter of, well, I need to get to know him better. I need to serve him because I love him. 
you know, to please mom and dad or to please so-and-so or to set a good example. Those are all okay reasons, but the best reason I didn't know until then was that because I love God. That's why I needed to serve. And, um, and his children, of course. But, yeah, so... Um, anyways, I, I got home, yeah, in uh, July of uh, 2008. And right afterwards, this is where Lorraine comes back into the picture. When I was serving in Hamilton here, uh, Lorraine saw that I was in a bit of a depression. I had kind of a tough time with my companion. And... Um, so she had had 10 years of suicide prevention training, like crisis therapy and stuff like that. Worked on the phones and everything. And uh, she offered to help me because, you know, the funny thing is when we first met, I should back up a bit, when we first met that Sunday, November 4th, 2000, oh, excuse me, 2007 it was, yeah. Um, she thought I was, there was like less than nothing between us, like less than nothing. You couldn't stand me except for the fact that oh, he's a missionary, so he's doing good work there. So, But other than that, like my personality, I was, I talked too fast, I put the piano too quickly, I was too annoying. <laughs> but she decided to help me out because, oh, he's a missionary, I want to help him. I can. So, And then during that uh, help, she kind of saw a side of me that she's like, oh, I can relate to that a little bit. There's something deeper to him than I'm seeing. Like, I kind of that kind of thing, right? And so, anyways, I got home after the mission, and you know, we had stayed in contact, Lorraine and I, uh, throughout the mission and uh, the rest of, the rest of mine. And um, after I got home, I called her one night and said, um, "Well, for the rest of the story, I should just clarify. Um, for the sake of not stirring up old defenses, or as Elder Holland put it, uh, for the sake of not." Um, digging it up, waving it around, and then throwing it at someone saying, hey, do you remember this splat? You know, that whole you know, bringing up old crap. I don't want to do that. So I'll be leaving some prominent specific details of how the Lord brought Lorraine and I together. Um, thankfully, there aren't many details like that in this story. So, um, yeah, so she, I, I called her um, one time after, shortly after I got home, and she was in a bit of a depression herself at that point, and um, I think she had mentioned that she was having some suicidal thoughts. So I'm like, well, I'm going to call you every night this week. And you better answer that phone uh, so I know you're okay. And she did. And we talked for hours every night the whole week and the next week and the next week and turned into a month. And <laughs> before long, Lorraine knew more about me than my own family did. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, over time, like there was... Uh, another, like, I had established this Facebook group on on the on uh, on social media about just people had questions about the church because I got home and I took off the tag and I'm like you know, you feel that, that there's that click when you take off the tag and you feel the mantle leave and you're like oh no come back come back and I didn't want to stop doing mission work I felt like I had found a, a, a you know a eternal valid purpose in my life finally besides being depressed and addicted all the time as I before as opposed to the way I was you know as a teenager. And, so I made a group on Facebook for missionary work, and uh, Lorraine and I helped a lot of people out there. One of them, her name was Isaphine. Now, she is just the most wonderful girl ever. Um, she joined the church because of Lorraine and I teaching her online in Washington, D.C. was uh, abandoned and uh, hated by her parents for it, or her, her mom and her, her mom's boyfriend, I should say. I, I think it was. I don't remember how that worked entirely, but... Anyway, so she moved out to Utah after she joined the church and found a nice couple there to stay with. And, and uh, 
it was Isophine, again was her name, Isophine Baker. And um, she and Lorraine and I and this other uh, lady named Lisa. Lisa, if you listen to this, by the way, uh, thank you for your part in this whole story. <laughs> nice lady. Uh, I don't think she's, yeah, she's uh, not a member of the church, but she was so nice. And she and I, and Isophine and I, and some other people would be talking sometimes on these group chats. And, and uh, by this time, you know, a few months had passed, and Lorraine and I, like every time we, I'd be, I would be the first one to lead these conversations online, and I'd say, oh, I love you so much, Lorraine. You know, you're such a great friend. And <laughs> there were people after I left would be like, he's in love with you, isn't he? And she'd be like, yeah, he just doesn't know it. And I was dating like other girls, you know, uh, when whoever I could find who I thought who I was interested in, who I thought I was interested in, didn't I was kind of dumb, <laughs> didn't realize what was going on in my heart, and so I, um, anyways, to kind of wrap this into the into why Lorraine and I ever happened in the first place, despite you know. It, it, even with the fact that we, we we eventually found out, you know, I eventually found out I had feelings for her. But what led up to that was that there's a, another girl, like my companion on my mission in Temiskaming Branch, way up north in Ontario, had a girl waiting for him, and she had a twin sister. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> so I contacted uh, her after the mission, and we actually ended up going on, on one date together. And... Uh, for sake of confidentiality, I won't mention who that was, but um, it was interesting because she played an interesting role in Lorraine and I happening. And because uh, we went on one date, and then she was going to come and visit me. She lived a ways away, um, a little more than a state away, and she uh, decided, "Hey, well, we went on one date. I'll come visit you. You come visit me every other weekend." And so she was coming to visit me, and uh, the Holy Ghost just told her, "Stop." the car, turn around and go home. And she was like, I think more than halfway there. And she's like, oh, okay, well. And I was dumb enough that that night when I, t I, I, I would call every, after every day, I'd call Lorraine and tell her everything, all the juicy details and sometimes a bit TMI for her, I think. She's like, okay, I didn't need to know that, but she was nice. She was a good listener, always has been. And as I told her what had happened, she was like, can you think of any reason why the Holy Ghost might have told her to turn around I'm like, oh, that's just, just good at following the Spirit. That's great. You know, it makes, I, in my stupid brain, I was like, that just makes me love her more. And, and um, <laughs> Lorraine was, oh, man. And then the Holy Ghost did the same thing to Lorraine. He's like, tell him how you feel. Tell him now. Not tomorrow, not five minutes from now. Tell him right now. Eternity hangs in the balance kind of thing, that, that kind of urgency. And so she did. And... I realized that I was in love with her too. I loved her heart so much. I realized it then, and I loved her for who she was. And I proposed that night, November 4th, a year from the day we had met, 2008, from over the phone, from 2,000 miles away without a ring. <laughs> and at that point, it was like, oh, well, Wait a minute, I'm working a crappy nine to five job at Arby's. You live 2,000 miles away, roughly. How are we gonna make this happen? Uh, okay, well, anyways, what happened was uh, Isophine, this friend of ours, this is where she comes born to play, um, she had an inheritance that she had gotten from her father before he passed away. And um, 
she was thankful enough, I guess, for um, Lorraine and I teaching her the gospel that you know, the, the phrase was something like, you know, you guys, you know, help me have happiness for a chance at happiness for eternity. The least I can do is make you two happen. So uh, she actually ended up paying for my flights. Yes, plural flights. It took me several tries to actually get up here and stay back up here. Um, back up here, she paid for that. She paid for the rings, all the expensive stuff. Um, and so she was actually going to come up here. Lorraine picked her to be our maid of, her maid of honor. But to, to honor Isaphine's story, um, she uh, got a bloody nose on the plane. Just as she, she was about to fly up here. And she asked, I was asked to leave the plane, and they found a tumorous, t- tumor, I'll be fine, cancerous tumor in her nose, which turned out to be a, a leukemia. And uh, she, you know, had a, she had a bone marrow transplant to try and save her life, which would have worked if the anti-rejection medications for the, the transplant didn't, if they didn't work, if she was allergic to them. And so, you know, that caused more problems and they, uh, uh, you know, she was in remission for a little bit, but then, you know, the, the treatment had caused so much havoc with her kidneys. She needed a kidney transplant, so they, if I recall correctly, and she got that and uh, it was okay for a while, but then the leukemia came back and the doctors gave her up to six months to live and she lived three. And so she passed away, I think it was at 24 years old. Never met her in person, but she was just, sorry, she was just a saint to Lorraine and I, and I hope, Isaphine, if you're listening to this from the other side right now, you don't, well, I'm sure you do know, I can't tell you how much a difference you made with bringing Lorraine and I together. You've made one of the best decisions you ever could, so thank you for that. Um, but, yeah, so the process was crazy once I had gotten it back up here. A lot of things were standing in our way of being sealed in the temple and having that temple marriage. Um, unfortunately, including some of my sexually addictive tendencies came back to bite me in the butt. And, um, but we ended up um, being uh, married in the Toronto Temple uh, on, the, on June 12, 2009. So, yeah, our 10-year anniversary was June this year. And um, interesting thing was, and this is key, Moving on with the story here, there was a friend of hers she had in high school who said to her one day, like, he knew something, like, there's something else going on that, you know, you don't talk about, which was her home life, which was bad. Um, and he said, you, know, you need to promise me that you'll tell the rest of your story one day. And so she promised him she would. And interesting thing is, that year he, she promised that was the year I was born. So do the math, but... Or don't, either way. Um, so, yeah, I ended up actually writing Lorraine's book, the rest of her story, as she dictated it to me. And um, so we're not selling it for reasons I can talk about in private with people at a later date if they want. But, um, yeah, we the second after we got married, now this is where things get really interesting. With like this is you know past stuff before we were married, but now that things get really weird because right after um, our sealing in the Toronto Temple, things just went wrong, even worse. As if they couldn't have gotten worse, they did. 
Lorraine's health problems just flared up like crazy. Just, you know, over time slowly, but just one really bad thing after another. Like, lymphedema showed up in 2010. If you don't know any of these terms, feel free to message me, look it up, whatever you want. Lymphedema showed up in 2010 with the swelling of, like, lymph in her, in her body. First in her legs, uh, you know, then test after test, x-ray after x-ray, ultrasounds, bone scans, blood work, you know, nuclear medicine, you name it, she probably had the test done. They even tested for cancer, I think, uh, maybe more than once. Thankfully, those days came back clearly negative. Um, then came, you know, chronic kidney infections over the years, recurring gallstones every year or so, uh, GERD, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, or acid reflux for short. Um, osteoarthritis in her neck, knees, and feet, uh, sarcoarthropathy, which I will explain that one. It's like a progressive bone degeneration. It's marked by like bone destruction, resorption of calcium into the blood, which may help explain all the kidney stones she's had. We don't know for sure yet. We haven't had that confirmed, but I have to wonder. Um, bone deformity, things like that. So she had that um, uh, mentioned, uh, what was that, last year? Anyways, more allergies than you can imagine. She's including some antibiotics. She's had PTSD from her past. Uh, Breathing-related symptoms when she sleeps. Uh, she's had a sleeping disorder resulting from uh, some of the trauma she's had. Uh, they found a Chiari type 2 malformation in her neck, which basically means her spinal column at one point in her neck is constricted and prevents flow of CSF, which is spinal fluid, and therefore it causes uh, hydrocephalus. Uh, she has anemia of chronic or fluid in the brain, hydrocephalus. Anemia of chronic disease. She has that, um, which often accompanies other issues that she has, like chronic infections, which she's had because of ulcers, multiple ulcers on her legs. Uh, okay, like autoimmune diseases, auto, anemia of chronic disease sometimes has that, where like the immune system attacks joints or um, body or organs or whatever. She has misophonia, which is Latin for hatred of sound, like it's a chemical imbalance where noises in a quiet room, like tapping, dripping, crunching, typing, rappers, things like that can make somebody either really, really angry or super sick to their stomach. It's a variety of symptoms. Kelly Ripa has it, if you go look her up, too. Um, there's probably more I'm forgetting at the moment, but anyways, um, I might be forgetting some things, but all of, on all of that, on top of my waxing and waning, if you will, with addictive patterns, has made for a very complex, complicated 10 years of marriage, as, like I said, as of June 12th this year. And... Um, also, I went to a, uh, to a uh, therapist, uh, a psychologist, I guess, in my doctor's office who kind of, I was like, you know, I need to get that evaluation on what's, you know, what's going on in my brain here. And so he asked me some questions and said, you know what, whatever you had as a kid, ADHD kind of thing, which is what I wanted to get to eventually, like I said earlier, um, ADHD as a kid, you may have had that. Things can change from childhood to adulthood. Right now, your symptoms are much more matching of Asperger's syndrome, which is a form of autism. So... We did some research, looked up what he said, listened to him, and we're like, you know what, that makes sense. So when I realized that, I'm like, well, knowledge is power. This is helpful. This is what explains why so much of the medication I took, because he said, yo, you can't medicate Asperger's. It, it, medicine doesn't help. I mean, it can help with symptoms sometimes, but it's not going to solve the problem. And that's why. You know, he explained to me why all those antidepressants didn't really help me growing up. I never felt like any of the, the uh, medications I ever took did anything for me. Talking helps which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast. But anyways, um, so I, you know, all throughout this process, um, I've wanted to take some time in, in this episode today, anyways, to really help those um, who feel like things couldn't get worse to know that they're not alone. I mean, the things that Lorraine and I have had to just, 
get used to. Uh, it might surprise you a bit. Complications in her health care have meant that simple things have become a luxury for us. Uh, going, going outside together when we want to, getting hugs, um, having the option to have a normal job, um, to get one, having a somewhat normal sleep pattern, uh, being able to plan a day, even a single day without expecting something to go wrong or yeah, just simple things like that that we almost never ever get. And, and you know, this isn't to complain, like, right? I mean, just, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Just today, the doctor came into my wife's hospital room and said that even though she passed her breathing test this morning, well, actually, she passed it well, uh, to see if she could come off the breathing tube, other factors made it unsafe for her to be extubated, to have the t- tube taken out. So, I mean, I won't even likely get to hear my wife's voice on my birthday tomorrow. Um, I mean, again, please don't misunderstand. This is not to complain, but this is just to under, you know, help other people, you know, you know, as I will try to explain a little bit here, help people understand how the Lord has been so merciful in providing compensation for all this on a spiritual level. Um, you know, like, just, you're, you're just, you're just, whoever's listening, you're not alone. No matter what you think you're being deprived of, chances are Lorraine and I don't even get some of the basic necessities emotionally or physically that, that, that you, you know, that you do. And um, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean that to compare, but it just kind of to illustrate what I'm trying to say here, you know, and, I, you know, I'm grateful that we've had the Lord's help. You've still, thanks to his help, you've found goodness in our situation anyways. Um, so one last thing I want to get to. Um, in my opinion, one of the uh, best parts of this whole thing, um, a few things I've learned from Asperger's syndrome, from you know dealing with that. I love people. I just trying to express how much I love people is like trying to boil the ocean. I just love people, and that's been a blessing. I'll, I'll put it this way: the blessing it has been to be put by the Lord in a situation where, um, as 20, Lorraine's 24-7 caretaker, I have to do, like, I have more time to do a lot of deep diving into the scriptures, words of prophets. I think the Lord knew that, that I need that, considering what has turned out to be a staggering weight of things that uh, we've had to get used to over the years. I've been shown things by the Lord the hard way, um, like, uh, I've been shown by the Lord the hard way what really matters and what should matter most to me. Uh, I've, I've kind of lost the emotional capa- uh, energy to care, like what other people think of me, which <laughs> um, is uh, different from caring about how people feel. I care monumentally about how people feel, but their opinions about me, I don't know. I just, I don't care anymore. And after reading books like, uh, for example, Visions of Glory or The Triumph of Zion by John Pontius, and after witnessing the spiritual gifts that my wife has been blessed with, my heart just, I don't know, I'm just not in a place anymore where I could ever be okay with not being at peace with anyone in my heart. I'm always trying to, I have my weaknesses, I say things I shouldn't, I know I, I, know I do. But, you know, I just, I want to be at peace with everyone. I always try. And, and uh, even, you know, people I've never met, politicians, celebrities, that, that one guy, you know, I heard treated Billy John Bob last week or whatever. You know, you know what's the point, right, of holding on to stuff like that? Um... It's like, you know, the number of people I've seen treat the rain badly, uh, the number of times I felt more weighed down with how I felt about those people, 
you know, it's, it's like trying to punish someone in our own minds and hearts for something that they may not even know they did wrong. It's, it's kind of dumb. It's stupid, and being at peace with them feels better anyways. Even, and, and especially, if someone does know they did something wrong and doesn't care, do we really think they're going to care whether or not we're forgiving them or not? You know, in that case, forgiveness in situations like that is not for, for them. It's for us. And forgiving and feeling at peace with them is really our gift to ourselves. So they're not living rent-free in our heads. But anyways, before I wrap things up here, um, I, I, you know, I wanted to go over some ways that God has compensated Lorraine and I so far. And to begin with, I guess I'll kind of go through some of the things Lorraine has given me permission to talk about. And so she had a recurring dream um, as a kid. In it, uh, she had like you ever had like one of those dreams in a dream kind of thing. The first one was like these little monster gremlin things would appear at the end of her bed. One of them would punch her in the face, and she and her bed would start to spin, and she would go down uh, in, like through this you know kind of tunnel portal thing, and her bed would land in this giant garden full of yellow roses, and this this beautiful angel would come out, like you know. Celestial, platinum blonde hair, beautiful woman would come out and just sit on the end of her bed and just talk to her all night for, oh, what was that, eight years? I might have the number a little bit off there. Growing up, she had this dream every night for, for years, and this woman would come out and just be her defense and her kind of a, a balm of, you know, Gilead to say, let's talk about this. You know, what, what are your frustrations about the day? And then kind of brace her for the next day when she woke up, emotionally speaking. And for years, she had this dream where this lady would come, a woman would come out and talk to her in her, in her dream. And, and uh, the last time she had it, this woman, uh, this angel, as she says, um, was an angel, uh, invited her to get up and get off the bed and walk around and smell the roses. And she, at one point, went down to try and pick one up and collapsed on the ground and woke up and never had the dream again. And uh, so... Throughout her life, she'd always had somebody helping her with something, whether it was this angel or people in high school, somebody to talk to to help her be kind of an emotional defense to, you know, have an outlet to deal with what was going on, the, the trauma she'd been going through. And so in this dream, after uh, Lorraine and I, after our marriage, um, a few years afterwards, uh, she received a priesthood blessing where she was told that you know, by someone who didn't know about, you know, a lot about this angel. Um, I'm not sure if they actually do anything at all. But anyways, in this dream, in this blessing, excuse me, she was told that the woman in that dream who's talked to my wife and helped her through all those years was, uh, was Mary, the mother of our Savior, and I'm like, and, th and not only that, but that she and Lorraine knew each other in the pre-existence. And that uh, she had work at some point to do um, with her in the future. Uh, missionary work or something like that, I guess. And uh, so that was one thing that, you know, just... Whoa, that's who that was, and we just you know realized, okay, I, I, I'm thinking I'm married. Wow, look who I married. I got a good one, and um, 
There's another thing, it's a more compensating experience that Lorraine has had. Um, after, actually, this was when I was serving in my mission in, uh, in uh, Waterloo, Ontario, when I got the email about this. This was in, um, oh, summer of 2008, just before I got home. Maybe it was late spring. Anyways, she emailed me, Lorraine did, about uh, her, we called them back then home teachers, right? Um, he was over, and then we were having one of those like super amazing spiritual discussions, one of those deep discussions, and he was trying to figure out a scripture and couldn't find it. And he, so he knelt down on the, on the apartment floor and began to pray for ministering angels to help him find the scripture. And through their shut eyes, in the middle of the prayer, both of them saw this lightning, bright lightning-like flash of light right on the floor in between them. And they both, you know, they both afterwards, you know, Lorraine was kind of like, did you see? And he's like, you saw it too! You saw it, didn't you? But what Lorraine didn't tell him until a few days later was that she saw behind him two angels next to him, and they stayed in that spot they never left. And I know I have felt their presence when we uh, had to move down a number of floors in our building to another apartment. They moved with us. I have felt them there. And they have been there for us ever since. And the spiritual gift that Lorraine got that day was the ability to perceive angels. When the Lord, when the occasion requires and when she's in desperate need, she sees them. And sometimes they have... Um, been there to uh, tell her things or just to be present and communicate with her. And I mean, look, sometimes I, I'd be in church, I would see him there in church with her sometimes, and I'd see that look on her face and, and uh, Lorraine, are you in a lot of pain right now? Or are you, or is this room just full? And half the time, probably half the time, she'd look at me and be like, they're everywhere, this room is packed. And she'd just be crying like, there's so many angels in here, they're coming in through the corners, through portals, and and uh, she'd see them, and she still can. In fact, I asked her a few days ago, have you seen them since you've been in the hospital? And she came, she, she couldn't talk, but she gave me that look on her face. Yes, they've, 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 I've seen things. And, and uh, she gets to sometimes still. Um, that's one of her spiritual gifts now since then. And uh, a few more things. One is when she was promised in a priesthood blessing. Um, again, this is another form of compensation that she's been given for all the stuff she's been through. Um, and there's a part I want to get to after this explains everything, by the way. Um, one line in her patriarchal blessing that uh, she always oh, it's okay with me sharing. But uh, she was also in a blessing told that she would be completely healed of everything, physically and emotionally, in this life. Um, so, and, you know, there's been at least 25 dreams. 24, 25? I could, I could be wrong there. Dreams about, had by different people most of them who weren't even in the room, who didn't, didn't know about that blessing, um, who had dreams about her at the temple, skinny as me, tall as me, blonde hair, running, skipping, jumping around, completely whole. And uh, so we know that's going to happen. And the last thing I want to mention that she's given me permission to talk about was last September, and this one just blew me away. The Lord uses pain, he can, if we have faith in him, 
to bless us. Wow, and he did that last September. There was a time where she was in, she fell asleep. It was on August 31st of last year, and which is interesting. It's almost been a year now. Uh, she went to sleep, which this never happens, especially during the day, for like four or five hours. It was like 12, 12.30, something like that. She went to sleep, and she was not waking up. Like, I'm sitting here shaking her arms around. And she's not responding. And we're like, okay, well, she's breathing. Her vitals are okay. She's not dead. Like, what's going on here? And so finally the nurse, one of the nurses came in. It was like an hour after she was supposed to get some oral meds, medications, and was able to wake her up. It was a little rougher than I was willing to be. But when she woke up, like... It was like, she said she felt like she was coming up, up out of anesthetic or something. Like she just got a wisdom teeth pulled, which wasn't the case. And like there was this explosive nerve pain in her head, like all over her head, like tingling, electrical, shocking nerve pain everywhere in her head and neck. Like she said, the, she felt like the room was spinning. There was like this really loud, painful dinging in her left ear, like Voldemort on surround sound. It was like, what is going on? And the doctors couldn't figure it out, and the uh, neurologists couldn't figure it out. Oh my goodness, it was like, what's going on here? So for the next like four, next four days, roughly, um, and, and she was talking like, you know, it's like she just had the happy guess. Oh, I love everyone so much, like that kind of thing, right? And I was like, okay, this is, this is interesting, but it didn't go away for like four days. I'm like, I was, I was scared. I was like, Heavenly Father, what is this? This like empty shell of my wife it feels like she's not here anymore. And um, so anyways, Monday, that next Monday night, oh boy. Um, so anyway, sorry, anyways, that, that Monday night, um, she prayed, Lorraine prayed and said, Heavenly Father, this nerve pain is just so horrible. Please make it go away. Please help me with it. And that night, um, I can't tell you everything that happened, but what I can tell you is that for, this, is, this wasn't the first time this part of it had happened, but our Savior Jesus Christ, he came to her and he, uh, he showed her his heart and it was pure white, it was glowing and, and he also showed her Almost like, I don't know, this is going to sound weird, but in this kind of, like, holographic screen form, I guess, in the air, he showed her different parts of her body and how to move, manipulate her nervous system um, so that she could help, you know, alleviate this nerve pain she had. Um, and he talked to her, and Heavenly Father, he, she heard his voice during the night guiding her and telling her, giving her counsel about things about her life, and... And uh, telling her things about me that that he wanted me to know, and and uh, she heard him, and saw the Savior, and and um, anyway, so you know he talked to her all through the night, and she woke up the next morning, and oh, she, oh I have so much to tell you, and she told me all this that was happening, and I'm like, like I'm just soaking this in, like I I get to you know I. It was almost like, I feel like I'm intruding on a sacred experience here, but it was my wife, and she goes, no, no, you need to hear this. I'm like, wow. And so she's telling me a bunch of things about, and he thought about me and some endeavors that I was going about that weren't bad, but that, uh, you know, he's like, you know, this isn't bad, but it's, it's not what you need to be doing. You know, this isn't what I want for you. There's something better out there. And so, uh, you know, it, 
I, I, and then I asked Dorian, I'm like, wait a minute, could you still hear him? And she had been given for a few days a spiritual gift to be able to, at will, clear her mind enough to audibly hear the voice of God. And so I asked her, can you, can you still hear him when, when you want his? And she's you know, that, that sing-songy voice with like, you know, sounds like she had wisdom teeth out kind of thing. Um, she's like, oh, you can ask him anything. And I'm like, you know, I'm bouncing up and down with excitement in my seat. And I'm like, oh, so honestly, it was like I got another patriarchal blessing that day. I wrote everything down, all these questions I'd wanted to know about myself for years, and I got answers, and more have come up since then about myself. But, you know, it was just, you know, and she was also told the things she needed to tell other people. What was it? Uh, five or six, seven, something like that. I don't remember the exact number, but several other people that she, like, you know, you need to tell this person this, this will help them. And yeah, it was just the most incredible experience. And then the last spiritual gift she got that time was, I don't know how to explain it. It was like for the next two days, Lorraine and I could just talk. Like usually we had communication problems because, you know, I interpret everything, too much things, too many things so literally with my Asperger's syndrome I don't do very well with many idioms and, you know, with her experience with, you know, being able to just say things the way she needs to say it and, yeah, yeah, just communication problems. But for those two days, September 4th and 5th, we could just talk and, like, there was, the, she, she could talk to me and understand me in a way that there was no possible way either of us could misunderstand each other. We were able to resolve things in our marriage that deep-seated stuff that we didn't dare mention for a second or two, you know, oh, can I talk about this now? Nope, 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 okay. We were able to resolve things completely that we'd been struggling with for years. And it was just the most precious spiritual gift that she was given. And um, so that was last September. That's Lorraine Vend. So some of the compens compens compensating, excuse me, experience he's given me, one of them that I know I'm okay sharing is... Um, on a fast and testimony meeting, oh, probably, that was probably last year too. I don't remember exactly, but I have it written down somewhere what, what, when that was. But I was bearing my testimony, and I was really feeling it, and I sat down, and it was either right towards the end of the meeting or right afterwards, um, with Lorraine sitting next to me there. Um, side note, she can't go to church anymore now because her health is so bad. She hasn't been in a long time and because of her health. And, but anyways, the, the person who came up behind me and said, hey, by the way, this this kid... Who, uh, who, who was sitting over that, that and she pointed to another pew, uh, another bench there. And just that, that child there just wanted you to know when you were up there bringing your testimony, he pointed up to you and, hey, mommy, look, Jesus. She told me that he was, he was standing next to me. <laughs> kind of like I feel like he's, he might be here now with me here, but I don't, I don't know for sure, but, and I know he was there with me. And um, the reason I know that sometimes when I know if you're him near is because in person, because on more than one occasion, one of them, for example, was with a set of sister missionaries here. I think it was back in 2015. Um, a set of sister missionaries who were at our apartment. We were having one of these great spiritual discussions. And, um, and uh, you know, Lorraine, at one point during the discussion, looked over at me and said, hey, do you feel that? Do you know who's here? And I, it was a sudden feeling like, it was like a hug. This, this 
incredible, like, whoa, this peaceful, beautiful hug from the inside is what it felt like. The Savior felt like him. I knew it was him. Like, he's here, isn't he? She said, yes, the Savior's here. He's here in person. And, um, you know, I've had my own dreams, by the way, too, about uh, two of them, about Lorraine being healed. Ironically enough, mine were the only ones who weren't, that weren't at the temple, but I've had them. And um, the last thing I want to mention today about compensatory experiences was a dream I had where Lorraine and I were, I think it was in actually the house I grew up in, which was kind of weird, in Delta, Colorado. We were there, and uh, we were kind of kneeling down for when my family hears this, uh, that part of the, of the old house where we grew up, it was like there was a dining room and there's a kitchen right next to it. And we were kind of like halfway in between the table and the dining room there. There's a the table and the kitchen. We were kneeling down in that spot in this dream. And, and uh, we were praying, Lorraine and I were, that you know, I, for some reason it was a Thursday night in the dream. For some, for some reason I knew that. And we were praying. We were going to go to the temple the next day. And I asked Heavenly Father in this prayer, I said, hey, could you please, if we go to the temple tomorrow, can you please heal Lorraine while we're there? And my dreams aren't usually very vivid, and but this one was as close to actually hearing the voice of Heavenly Father as I've ever been to in my dreams out loud. Um, my senses aren't very usually, they kind of feel like they're kind of dulled in my dreams, but for a dream, for me, a dream equivalent of, I heard the Lord say to me, yes, yes, I will, with just just. And, you know, excitement and yes, I would love to kind of thing. And then he, I thought it was just his voice in the dream at first, but then he, he put his hands on my shoulders. And the love, I will tell you, the love I felt, even in the dream, in my heart from him, it was so overwhelming, but amazing. And it's just like, oh. You know, these experiences he gives us, um, Lorraine and I, they, there's a reason for them. There's so much weight that we often carry. We see all the stuff that goes wrong and the Lord compensates us. He does. And by the way, that thing from uh, Lorraine's patriarchal blessing I wanted to mention, the one phrase that explains everything she's been through was where it says, you will understand his atoning sacrifice for you and all mankind. Now, how many people understand it? How many people do we ever know who are told that they're going to understand that? And yet she was told she would. So that explains the scope and intensity and depth of suffering she has been through. And the compensating spiritual witnesses she and I have both had of the reality of Jesus Christ and his power to heal and bless and help us. You know, blessings we've seen through all this, how partnering with Jesus Christ and taking advantage of his atoning sacrifice, doing what he asks us to do, not just looking for how good am I supposed to be, but how good can I possibly be? That's the perspective that has gotten Lorraine and I where we, where we are. And with the time the Lord has blessed me with to dig into the scriptures, to deep dive, to really look for heavenly water, what are the answers to these, these, these insane problems? What are the answers? And when we don't get answers, he gives us compensating spiritual light 
to get us through to when we do get the answers. And he's reminded us several times that he is there. I know he's there. And if you think, who are listening to this for one second, that God does not give people blessings in their dreams, in visions, in everyday occurrences even, just regular stuff that we don't understand, so much of the stuff that we don't see as his divine intervention when it is, we don't, there's so many tiny things we don't see how it, oh, like I can't even tell you the number of small things that Rand I have noticed over the years, little tiny details that just work together. When you realize after the fact, oh, whoa, he has orchestrated so much of this for our benefit. Little tiny things all over the place. It's like he was in every last detail of it. So many things, that, blessings that he's had for us that would never have happened. For example, the nerve pain. He used that nerve pain. He used the pain itself to bless Lorraine with the state of mind that allowed her to perceive what she did last September. It would not have been possible without that pain. Um... And to end off with, I want to play a song for you guys that um, just illustrates that principle so well. It's Blessings by Laura Story, and then, and then I'll wrap up here. Here we go.
So, for anyone who's listening out there, please know that God has not abandoned you. He has not, and he won't. You just need to keep reaching out, okay? Lorraine and I know better than anyone else I know that he is there through all of it. He weeps when you weep, and he just waits and waits, sometimes reverently witnessing and with the angels taking notes in heaven of what happens to us <laughs> until we he knows that the time is right to answer what we need to bless us with what we need and give us what we really need instead of what we think we need but uh, I hope this inspires someone today and gives them faith and courage <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening everyone in the next episode, we have Jeff Griffin on the show talking about realizing our power and potential. Jeff is a motivational speaker. He has earned his master's degree in education and curriculum and created a worldwide peer-to-peer leadership program for third world countries that has that was recognized at the United Nations in New York City. He's also the creator of the nonprofit organization Road to Recovery for uh, Injured Vets and the Physically, physically Disabled. Uh, if you have any questions about this episode or if someone you know would like to participate in an episode or like a certain topic discussed, please feel free to email me at thepulsifier at gmail.com with the subject line stepping into freedom request and I'll get back to you. Um, please, if you like what you heard today, please give that follow link a click on paulpulsifer.podomatic.com and subscribe on any of the platforms listed on the homepage. Um, reviews, uh, please, are also useful on iTunes and Stitcher. They are very helpful. So have a great day, everyone, and remember to stand steadfast in the freedom God gave us. Until next time, This is Paul Pulsifer.